No, I am, but uh, kids, we're going to dismiss you in, uh, in just a few minutes, so don't get uh, scared that Pastor Marlowe's already into his sermon, and we didn't forget about you. Um, we've got three messages this morning, and so we're, we're diving in uh, right away here to uh, the message, or the first part of three in our message this morning. This series we're in is um, uh, the church God wants us to be, and... Uh, again, three mini-messages on the three phrases of our church's mission statement. And uh, our mission statement reads this way. Eaglemont Church is committed in simplicity to knowing God, loving people, and serving the world. We, we want to grow. I want to grow in those three areas. We as a church want to help people grow in those three areas. It's kind of New Testament stuff, actually. It's not rocket science. It's not easy. Sometimes. In that mission statement, the words uh, in simplicity are intentional. Our aim is to be a simple church. Do we always hit that bullseye? Not necessarily. But simple doesn't mean easy. Simple doesn't mean uh, not busy. Simple means a variety of things. And there's some, actually some information on our website about that. But uh, hopefully it means Focused. Focused. And so simple sometimes is difficult, more difficult, because it means at times saying no to some good things, which we've done before, in order to focus. Simple church is not um, trying to program to meet every need. There's an unending stream of needs. We know that. But it's about directing resources and energy to chosen areas of focus. So, Pastor Pastors Joel and Jeff are going to address the other two phrases of this statement a little later, but I, I want to take opportunity to, to say, before we get into the brief message here, uh, how much I appreciate these two pastoral leaders. They each bring their unique gifts and, and perspectives. They contribute greatly to positive church life and mission here, and I, I just wanted to, this morning, take opportunity to express that publicly, just how much I appreciate them as people, as leaders, and greatly value the way they serve in the context of our church. And of course, that yeah, uh, that appropriate expression there and uh, applies, of course, to Pastor Crystal and, and so many leaders in our, in our church. So let's look at, the, at what the, the phrase, this phrase of our mission statement, knowing God, means uh, biblically and experientially. Mark Buchanan, a Canadian pastor and author, a few years ago wrote an article in Christianity Today. He wrote this. Arthur Burns, a Jewish economist of great influence in Washington, was asked to pray at a gathering of evangelical politicians. Stunning his hosts, he prayed, Lord, I pray that Jews would come to know Jesus Christ. And I pray, he said in his prayer, I pray that Buddhists and Muslims would come to know Jesus Christ. And then most stunning, Buchanan writes, most stunning of all, he prayed, and Lord, I pray that Christians would come to know Jesus Christ. I emphatically state this morning that merely believing in the existence of a God or, or even merely attaching the title Christian to oneself is not the same as knowing God in the way the Bible says we can know him personally. People often like to make it known that they know someone famous, don't they? Have you heard it? 
You probably heard me. I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's just me. Or, but, but even if it's a brief interaction with someone who's famous, wow. Uh, a few years ago, I was at Indian Wells Tennis Tournament in Palm Springs, and Milos Raonic, Canadian tennis star, walked right by me. That's the picture. That, that's on my iPhone, friends. I, it's kind of like I know him a little. He, he, he walked right by me. I, I love to tell people that I, um, I, I, I not only met Canadian hockey star Shane Doan, but I invited him to speak. Some of you have heard, heard me tell this story. I invited him to speak at an outreach youth event when I was youth pastor in Winnipeg in the early 90s when Shane was playing with the Jets. I think it was his first year before the team moved to Phoenix. Do you realize what I'm saying, my friends? I not only met Shane Doan, but we had a lengthy conversation. We, we shared some things in common, actually. We, we discovered that when he played with the Kamloops Blazers, one of his teammates was a kid that I used to babysit when I was 14. Wow, I, I know him. It's awesome. And some of you are wondering, who is that? Tyson Nash. A little pesky little player. He was the same as a kid. And uh, the, his family was in our church in Sherwood Park at the time. But anyway, we're, 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 some, we're sometimes like Will Ferrell in the movie Elf, aren't we? You, you remember? The store employee announces that Santa's going to be coming to the store. Oh, and after, yeah, yeah. He grabs, Elf does. And Will Ferrell grabs his arm, the store employee's arm, and says, I know him. I know him. We're like that sometimes. But as Christ followers who have surrendered to the God of the universe through what Jesus did on the cross, we can say, I know him. Wow. Seriously. I, I know him. I'm in relationship with the God of the universe. It's what the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah said, or quoting God's words from Jeremiah 9. But those who wish to boast, God says, should boast in this alone, that they truly, truly know me. So God says. And some of us, those of us, most of us here this morning, probably as Christ followers, we, we can say that. If we're going to talk with excitement about knowing somebody, let's talk with excitement about the fact that we know Personally, the creator of the entire universe. That's a phenomenal thing. Because it all starts there. With, with knowing God. It all starts there. All of life and eternity starts there. The, the ability to love people. The ability to unselfishly serve people. Uh, like so many of us want to do. Starts there with truly knowing God. And knowing his heart for people. G- getting the most out of life. Who doesn't want to do that? This gift of life God's given. But getting the most out of life and being, and being safely delivered into the next all starts there with knowing God. John 17. John is the fourth of four uh, biographies of Jesus Christ. Our, our uh, um, historical uh, accounts of the life of Christ. And Jesus is quoted by John. John 17 is saying, this is the way to have eternal life. To know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. The, the word to know, the words to know in that verse convey the idea of connection or, or union as between a husband and wife. It's a term in scripture, in the Hebrew term, yada, uh, to know that, that Adam knew his wife. It's a term of intimacy, you know what I'm saying, of deep relational union and connection. And we can know God 
that way. That's the idea of that word, those words, to know in Scripture when it relates to God. If you're a spiritual seeker and you have questions about the God of the Bible, the single most important thing I could tell you confidently is that he's a God whom you can know. He wants to be known by you and he wants to know you. And the personal and relational knowledge of this great God starts by, by, by trusting in Jesus and what he did on the cross. And receiving his gift of forgiveness and surrendering the whole of your life to his loving and wise leadership. Knowing God, another way to phrase it, and I like this, is to become supremely alive. I love that two-word descriptor. It's the way Louis Zamperini described his experience of coming to personal faith in Christ. There's a book titled Unbroken that a friend of mine lent me some time ago. Turned into a movie just a few years ago. It's a story of a, a very troubled boy, Louis Zamperini, who became an Olympic distance runner in the 1936 Berlin Olympics. And when the 1940 Olympics were canceled, he joined the U.S. Air Force. His bomber ended up crashing into the ocean, and he was captured by the Japanese and experienced intense suffering and torture in prison camp there. Well, when he finally makes his way back and gets back to the United States, he, he, he's wrecked. He's, he's struggling significantly. He's tormented mentally by the pain of those years previous. Eventually, at the harassment of his wife, who had already been to a Billy Graham crusade in Los Angeles there, he, he ends up going to a Billy Graham tent crusade meeting in, in, uh, in L.A. in 1949. And he gives his life to Christ, becomes a Christ follower. Something happened in here that night. The phrase, supremely alive, is how Zamperini felt after he opened his heart to Christ at that Billy Graham meeting. So much so that when he got home that night, he dumped all the booze down the drain, the booze that he had been so dependent on for many years in an endeavor to cope with the pain and the emptiness of his life. Before that life-changing evening, every night he had had terrible dreams about the torture he'd suffered in the Japanese war camp. And, and that night, his testimony is that for the first time in five years, he did not have one of those dreams. And the author writes, he woke up feeling cleansed. He was supremely alive. Coming to know God personally like that, surrendering our life to him, it, it changes everything, my friends. And many of you know this. And don't misunderstand what I'm saying. That does not mean to be interpreted as it automatically means that we're going to have no troubles. That's not it. But it changes everything about my life now and about my eternal trajectory. And it's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that makes knowing God personally possible for any one of us. God, God went to great lengths so that we could know him in relationship eternally. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's phenomenal. And what a privilege that we as a church and in and through our individual lives get to live out that message, get to share that message in the way we live, in the way we respond, in the way we speak. And that gospel is what we get to share. What a privilege for a group of people like this in a church context to be able to say, that's our core message. And we get to declare it together as a body. We're going to move on to part two, the sermon. I don't know. That's what I'm calling it. Part two of the sermon. Uh, I don't know about you guys. I don't have a lot of things in my life that I'm actually fearful of. Um, 
The Oilers winning the Stanley Cup would be one of them. But there are very few things, and thankfully that's not realistic. There are very few things that I'm actually afraid of. If there was, when I was in, uh, like my, my wife, we had a mouse infestation a few years ago. And my wife is now very afraid of mice. Outside of Mickey Mouse, there's no mice allowed in our house. Uh, but for me, I, I went uh, to Bible college in a small prairie town. We regularly had mice in our room. We would just trap them and keep them in buckets and make them our pets. For some reason, they never seemed to last more than two days. But I had, I had no problem with mice. If there's a spider that crawls up on my shoulder, I have no problem. Public speaking is not something that makes me fearful. But heights, that's one thing for me that I'm not super comfortable with. All you need to do is come by my house and be at the bottom of a ladder when I'm trying to clean out my gutters. And you realize I lose any sense of patience and really saneness of mind when I have to be at any type of height where I feel out of control. Now, this summer, uh, we go to Jasper every, every summer with my wife's uh, side of the family. And every year, we pass by a big sign. If you guys have drove to Jasper on the other side of Hinton, just as you're getting towards Jasper, there's a big sign that says, Zipline. And I, it's weird. I don't like heights, but I like ziplines. And so this year, every year, I've said, I want to go, let's go. And every year... On the way back, when we're supposed to go, we're like, oh, I'm so tired. It's going to be such a long drive. Let's just go home. And we never stop. But this year was the year me and my brother-in-law finally went on the zip line. If you've never gone, it's pretty fun. But you climb up on the top of this big hill on the top of a roof. And then this guy will strap you up in the harness and hook you up to this cable. And then you're just supposed to run off the roof and jump. Now, in any other circumstance... Anybody who has a sane mind is not going to jump off of the roof of a building on the side of a cliff. But as you go through, there was, there was three of us that went. My, my brother-in-law and myself. And then there was this other girl we'd never met. She was there a f- couple minutes before us. And she was freaked out of her mind. So the guy who's up there, he's trying to loosen everybody up, telling some jokes. Some of them are funny. Some of them you just laugh awkwardly because you're like, eh, he kind of made a joke. I know it's supposed to be laughter here. But she didn't laugh at anything. She was stressed out. And in fact, at one point, as he is trying to make her laugh and make her calm down, she, she just said, you need to stop talking because if you keep talking, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> Which way, me and my brother-in-law were like. So we spent the rest of the time trying to calm her down. And she, she went first because she just wanted to get down. But you would think at any other point in my life, if I jumped off a roof, how would I feel? petrified. But I was hooked up to this harness where I hung, got a little bit of a wedgie, and hung and we zip-lined across a field. And this cable that suspended kept me off the ground as I hung midair. I had an understanding of what it meant to actually hang. The scripture talks about the, there's a, this word is used hung in, in, a, in a verse that Jesus talks about the concept of, of love. And that's what I'm going to be teaching on today. Matthew 22, 36 to 40 reads this. As a teacher of the law came to Jesus and he said, which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the teacher would have known this and would have agreed with this. 
So it would have been a good answer. And he only asked for what is the greatest commandment. But Jesus chose to not just answer that, but he said, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, meaning all the teachings of the Old Testament, all the prophets, all the, the, the wise men who had wrote and written down counsel, all the things that you have learned from God's word, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. To love God, to know God, as Pastor Marla was talking about, and to love others. Just like when I was on that zip line, I, I had a comfort. There was something about hanging and being held. I knew I wasn't going to fall, but all of my body weight, who I, everything I had, I didn't have any type of control, but I hung by that cable. When it comes to your life and how you live for Christ and trying to be like him and trying to follow what God wants for your life, all the commandments that you read about, everything in the Bible that God gives us for instruction, hang on two things. Love God. Love others. If you want to capture the heart of God, if you want to really be found at the core of what Christianity is all about, if you want to really capture the call of the church, the call of ECC, and what our DNA is, this is it. Love God. Know God. Love others. I want to take a few minutes today and really focus in on that second part of this equation of loving others. We are called to love our neighbor. Now, who's our neighbor? We could study that in depth, but to make it simple, our neighbor is everyone around us. Everyone you see as you walk through your day, they're your neighbor. And we're supposed to share God's love with them. That's important, that's pivotal. But even more so, I want to focus on a group that God talks about specifically that we are called to love. And it's laid out in Scripture very clearly that this group we're called to love in a unique and special way. John 13, 34 to 35 says this. A new command I give to you. Love one another. Love one another. Now, John is speaking to believers, Christ followers. This new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you so that you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I don't want to get too far into the weeds here, but as we look at these two verses here, in verse 34, in the first part where it says, this new command I give it, to love one another. There are two different words that are used to, uh, here in, in describing love. The first one is uh, the word agapeo. This means to welcome, to entertain, to be fond of, to love dearly of things, to be well pleased, to be contented at or with a thing. The second word is a word, if you've been in church before, I'm sure you've heard lots, and it sounds very similar, and it's the word agape. This word means affection, goodwill, love, benevolence, or brotherly love. This word is the word that's used to describe God's love. And here in this verse, 
it's specifically used to talk about how Christians relate, treat, and love other Christ followers. See, we are all called to love agape of the world around us. But did you know that there is a unique and special love that we are supposed to show to each other? Agape love. Christ-reflective love. It is a love that is affectionate. It is the love that desires for the goodwill of another. Meaning we desire not just what's best for us, but we truly desire what is best for the other person. It is a benevolent love. It is giving and sharing. It's supportive. It bears with, as the scripture says, to bear each other's burdens. It bears with another. When we're benevolent with with, with other people, when we love with a benevolent love with other Christ followers, it means we don't pounce on each other's failures. There is room here at ECC for this type of love where there is honesty and vulnerability. That's the type of church we want to be. That's what God's called us to. Just as God welcomes us as sinners, we are called to welcome each other, warts and all. This type of love is reflective of Christ's love. It's not conditional. It's not you have to meet this requirement and then I'll love. Our common ground that brings us together here has nothing to do with our hobbies, our political opinions, our financial standing, our race, our creed, or, but rather the platform, this unconditional benevolent love is our common understanding and relationship with Jesus Christ. Grace is key if we are going to live up to the call that God has for our church to love others and specifically love each other. Are we patient with each other? Do we actually care for one another? Do we give time? The greatest thing that we have to offer, even more than money, is our time. Do we take time to listen? And are we willing to invest into each other, to actually be known, to let ourselves be known by others, and to allow others and invest into them so that we know them? That's one of the greatest markers of a people that truly are reflective of the agape love of Christ. And as John said, it was this love, it was how the church loved each other that was actually going to be the greatest witness to the world around us. It wasn't going to be because of how charitable they were and how much they gave or how much they cared or showed love to people outside the church. The greatest testimony of who God is is how we love each other. It's radical, it's transforming. And I ask you this morning, do you know that type of love? Are you participating in that type of love? Because that is what we are called here for. On a Sunday morning, it's not about having, you know, nice sounding music. It's not about listening to someone speak a nice message. It's not about having comfortable seats or a nice place to be in where it's warm. It's not about being able to brag and go look at all the money we gave to good things. Or look how good we are, look how right we are, look how few mistakes we make. 
That's not what it's about. We're called to love God, to know him, and to love others. And we know that we're hitting the nail on the head when that actually defines what we are. In 1 Corinthians 13, this chapter speaks about love, and it says, If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, starting in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 13, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I, I know I've shared this before, but I played drums when I was in high school. Let me tell you, every other instrument, no matter how weird and not great sounding, every other instrument can have a solo. But I have yet to hear anybody chant and cheer for a gong or cymbal solo. Just hasn't happened, to my knowledge. But maybe today will be the day. I don't know. But a gong or a clanging cymbal on its own, in, 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 the, in the mass of an orchestra, there can be room for it and sound for it. But on its own, if you had, like, parents, think about this. If your kid just played a gong or a cymbal and practiced at home for an hour, what would that be? The most annoying thing in the world. Without love, I am like a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. We are called to be a community where love exists. It goes on to talk and define what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs, which is why every time we come together here, you don't have to rehash everything that you've done. We don't have to give penance to somehow appease God or appease the other people in this church. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. It is this type of love that is to define us, and it is this type of love that will be the greatest witness to the world around us of who Jesus is. So how do we practically experience this deep sense of love, this type of relationship in our church? How do you do that in a church where there's 300 people here, and perhaps you're new and you go, I don't, eh, don't know anybody. I'm just trying to learn a name, let alone have that type of relationship. There are many things that we are trying to do intentionally as a body. You may have noticed that we've started to do every Sunday where we're going to be having these 15-minute coffee times at the end of our Sunday mornings, and there's purpose with that. It's so that we try to carve a little bit of a window to start to, to build those relationships, to give chance to get to know each other. And by no means do any of us on staff think that that's somehow going to magically produce this depth of relationship, a 15-minute break where you can have some conversation. It's still going to be kind of superficial there. We get that. But we're wanting to use it as a starting block. But there are many things we can do Come on a Sunday morning when 11.30 hits, that doesn't mean rush home. There are many things you can do. You can linger here and get to know each other. Invite someone over to your house for, for lunch. Or go out if you need to. Finger cooking, right? Boston pizza? That just went everywhere. Here. Okay. There's lots of ways you can just connect and get together. But one of the things that we intentionally do as a church is we really like to emphasize small groups. The idea of meeting and committing to meet with a group of people in the middle of the week, a smaller group, usually more like 8 to 12 people, where you get to actually know each other. 
You study God's word together. You get to pray together. You get to know about each other's lives, each other's families, and invest into each other. Because if you're trying to do this solo, what you're trying to do is you're trying to take on something that was never meant to be done by yourself. See, God actually didn't make you to live the Christian life on your own. He made you to be a part of his church. And that comes down to knowing God, loving God, you having that relationship with him, and loving others. An important part of that, as great as it is that you have a good relationship with your non-Christian friends, co-workers, and neighbors and family members, it's incredibly important that you have relationships with other Christ followers that you're doing this life together with. The love that you're going to be able to have there is, is a depth of love that you just won't be able to get anywhere else because of that common understanding, that common core of Christ at our center. Uh, I want to talk this morning, continuing on, uh, me and Joel were talking a little earlier about a little contest that we have of see who can preach shorter, and uh, the winner gets to Starbucks, so have a great morning. <laughs> Caramel macchiato, Joel, Good. heavy cream. Anyways, no, well, I got a little bit to talk about. Uh, I want to talk about serving the world, and that's kind of the third part of our identity. And when I hear serving the world, I kind of generally go to thinking about like a global scale, like going out into the world, and, and I think about missionaries. So is it really practical or realistic for every single person here to go and live in Africa or go live in um, China or Russia or whatever it is? Probably not. I don't believe that's what God is calling us to. And that's not what we're calling our church to do when we say that our, the third part of our identity is to serve the world. It's, what it is is to reflect Jesus well. And it's, what it is is to reach our community. God calls us to reach our community. So before we can talk about what God feels towards our community, I wanted to take a look at what God feels for all of us, or, or has for all of us. And we find in Jeremiah 29, 11, you've probably heard this story before. It says this, it's going to be up on the screen. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you hope, or a future and a hope. And in other versions of this, and maybe the more traditional one you've heard, is that it says, I'm for you, not against you. And we love this one, right? This is, this, is, uh, this is the one that we go to whenever things go bad. And, and it's true and it's good. It's an interesting point that I won't fully get into is that this is actually not just like a positive situation that God is speaking to his people in this moment. This is actually him speaking to them in a state where like they were in exile and it was a really rough space. But he's saying, even though that, I'm for you, not against you. The plans I have for you, even in the bad times as well as the good times, is that you're going to have good things coming. Because God is with you. So if we know that God loves us and that God is for us, then what is God's trajectory for the whole world? And we don't have to go much further than the book of Mark or in the Gospels. This is in several different uh, of the Gospels, which is the, um, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, the accounts of Jesus' life uh, early in the second half of the Bible. And we see in Mark 16, 15 to 18, it says this. And this is Jesus. And then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They'll cast out demons in my name and they will speak in new languages. They'll be able to handle snakes with safety and if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. So, so 
What he's saying, there's a lot there. Don't get me wrong. What he's saying is that because Jesus is with us and he has our back and he's for us and not against us and has great plans for us, that we need to share that love with people. We need to go out into all the world and preach the good news, preach the gospel, preach the message of Jesus. But all this stuff after, now I know it gets a little bit dicey there if you don't really look into it when it starts to say, yeah, they'll be able to handle snakes. Or like if you drink poison, you won't die. I'm not saying we should all go home and go under the kitchen sink and test that theory out. I suggest don't do that. What he's saying is not that you'll have this power to show off, but wherever you go, Jesus will be there to accompany you to do incredible things, to do unbelievable things, things you couldn't do on your own. And that that accompanies the first part of that verse where he's talking about how we need to go into the world and we need to preach the news and we need to baptize people and share it. So why are these two things connected? Well, we've talked about the, the world around us. Look at the culture around us. And I don't like being the guy that just gets up here and complains about the culture. But the fact of the matter is, like, it doesn't always connect to a traditional Christian worldview. In fact, often it's a conflicting situation. So if we're called to serve the world, if we're called to serve our community, to reflect Jesus well in Beaumont, how are we going to do that when a world doesn't really want it? And actually, to an extent, is often, often offended by it. It comes down to reflecting what God has for us. We've talked about in that verse in Jeremiah that God is for us. God is for us. So in the same way, if we're to be like Jesus, if he's for our community, if he's for our world, then we need to reflect that in our actions as a church, not just on the stage, not just on what our sign looks like out front, not just in our, in our presentation in any way, but also in our day-to-day lives, which is why we are launching, along with several other churches in, our, uh, in the greater Edmonton area, as well as around North America, and I believe even outside of North America, um, it's called the Four Initiative. And if, if you want, there's a really good uh, podcast by Kerry Newhoff uh, out there that has the really good information on this. It actually started with Chick-fil-A uh, engaging their community, using uh, a connection with their community to kind of promote against companies, or not against, but promote um, to try and keep up with companies like McDonald's that were have significantly more uh, financial means of communication. It was a strategy to connect their brand and their cause with their community. And that's a stretch. They had to sit around a boardroom table to, to make the connection that chicken sandwiches could connect to their community. It worked. We don't need to sit around a boardroom to understand that Our brand, or not that's a business term, but our cause, Jesus, the gospel, what we saw just there in the verse in Mark about reaching the world with good news, that connects with our community. Whether they know it or not, the good news of the Bible will connect with our community. So how do we do that? It's more than a hashtag. Maybe you've never really been on social media. Hashtags are a way of hyperlinking, link, basically linking your content and related content under one umbrella, hashtag for Beaumont. So if all of us were to post on Instagram and hashtag our post, hashtag for Beaumont, and they clicked on that hashtag, all of our stuff would be connected. We would love to do more of that. We're going to hashtag a lot of our stuff coming up when we're posting on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever it is. And that's great. 
But that's not what this is about. This is, a, this is a call to action for our church. This is a call to action for every single person sitting in a chair this morning to engage our community and before our community in everything we do. When I first moved to Beaumont, I was 19, and I didn't really want to live here. My parents had just moved here. I had my whole life in Edmonton. I literally lived at the first turn back when the Shell Station was the first set of lights. That was like 10 years ago now. I didn't ever need to go south of the Shell Station. I didn't really live in Beaumont, so I begrudgingly lived in the very edge of Beaumont and went into town every, every week. If you ask me what I thought about Beaumont, I did not like Beaumont. Didn't want to be there. And over, and there's still things. I think we all, it doesn't take very long to be on Beaumont Talks or to talk to anybody about, you know, the, the speed limit here or there where we find things that, about Beaumont that we don't like. But I've grown to love Beaumont and love the community in spite of its lack of quality coffee at times. It's great that we have two Tim Hortons, but can we get just, anyways. I've learned to care about the people and, I, and we need to choose to be for our community in everything we do. So what does this look like? This comes down to two things. There's going to be a church side of this as far as leadership strategy. There are things we're going to implement. And that's kind of as a launching point. But it, then on the second side of that, it comes down to your every single day life and how you engage with your neighbor, how you engage with the members of Beaumont that live next to you and that work with you and that are on your kid's soccer team or whatever it is that you see every day at the coffee shop. When you go to Starbucks to get your coffee, that same person's there. How do you engage with those people? It's showing that we're for them. It's engaging in local community things. It's being intentional about how we engage our community. So from a church side, here's some of the things that we're planning on doing. We want to show our community that we love them. So one of the things we're trying to do is in a couple of weeks, we're going to be launching a new cafe um, element of our Sunday morning coffee. It's still going to kind of, the timing will look the same, but we're going to be engaging with uh, Brave Fox Coffee, who is a local roastery in town, and it's actually really, really good. Like, I'm not just saying because it's Beaumont, like, we're really lucky that there's a good roastery, because if this whole initiative had a, like, a really poor coffee company, it'd be kind of awkward, but they're really good. Um, so we want to engage with them. We want to engage with different businesses that make pastries to be able to sell them at cost there and be able to engage with them. And even just the preliminary conversations I've had with these people who don't attend our church in the community who own these businesses and their excitement to engage with our church on some different things like this and that the idea that our church is engaging in the community. You don't have to be a part of our community in Beaumont very long before you realize that there is a, a real strong response a real strong response to community initiatives. That if it's about Beaumont, you have a lot of grace. You have a lot of leeway into, the, into their groups. So that's awesome, and that's one of the things we're going to do. Like I said, maybe it's different things that attending, uh, and some of it will be structured. Some of it's just us going out, going to like the, the Beaumont Days Parade, D-A-Z-Y. Not sure how they misspelled that, but that's how it is. The Beaumont Town and Country Days, I believe. Man, that's a branding nightmare. But anyways, um, go to that and just be a part of it. Volunteer. Mention that you're part of the church. Maybe it's going around with the street team. I'm, I'm kind of covering it because I'm cold. But we have these Beaumont, uh, four Beaumont shirts that maybe you buy that uh, at cost. We'll have those available at the cafe as well for order. And you wear those to community events and it gets a conversation going. What, what's that shirt? I guarantee you go to a Beaumont thing, anything about Beaumont, you have four Beaumont on your shirt, they're going to ask you a question and it starts a conversation. Well, I'm actually from Eaglemont Church and this is part of our initiative to show us that 
You know how so often churches are known for what they're against. We still stand for something and we're still standing up for ourselves in certain situations, but we want you to know that more than anything, God is for you, we are for you. We need to reach our community. We need to. Not just for stats, not just so we can have more people in the seats. Like, obviously, we want to grow numerically as a church by reaching people, seeing them baptized behind me. We want to do that. But we need to reach them because that's what it said in that verse in Mark. That's what it says in the gospel. That's what God called us to, is that because of all the things that Pastor Joel and Pastor uh, Marlo talked about before me, because all those things are true and they're good, we need people who don't know about it yet to know it. We have to have this unquenchable thirst to bring the gospel to people who don't know it. If they don't know it, they will die. If they don't learn it, their world will fall apart. That's a hard conversation to have, but I'm telling you right now, they need to know about Jesus. And it's our job to tell them. Lastly, before I conclude, I just want to uh, highlight one more initiative that we're going to be doing as a church. And that's uh, coming up on October 20th will be the first of uh, lots of different, every month, uh, a monthly meeting, uh, church gathering, church service uh, that we'll be doing here on Saturday nights. Just one time a month. And it's called Access, and I think it's up on the screen right now. And this is driven by our leadership as an opportunity for you to invite people who otherwise might be totally uncomfortable with coming on a Sunday, who don't know Jesus yet, into a setting where they would feel, should be able to feel. I can't tell them what to feel, but they should feel. And we're going to take every effort possible. It's completely designed for them to come and have an entry level, an access point, there's the name, into a Jesus-based life. Now, Sunday morning is still important. Sunday morning is fundamental, and we still think you can, should be inviting people on Sunday morning uh, who don't know Jesus yet. But we know that there's also barriers that come, even with the name Sunday morning church. Like, there's, if people had a bad experience, it's very possible that they might have some apprehension or, or hesitation to come into that setting. And realistically, on a Saturday night at Access, it's still the church. There's still a cross on the roof, like, whatever. But the psychology of it might break down at that point. On top of that, the way we present it, it will look a little bit different. It's still church. But it's going to look in a way that we have designed it 100% to try and get people to connect who don't know Jesus. Because like I said, we need to. We must. And we hope that, that this initiative, hashtag for Beaumont, and that this idea of access and just the, the vision and just another look at what our church's identity is as we've looked at it this morning, I hope it excites you. I hope it pumps you up. I hope that it launches hope in your heart. And I hope that we together, as we walk out of this place, and, and my encouragement and my challenge is find ways in the coming weeks and months to be for your community, to reflect how God is for you in your community to your neighbors, and to engage in the mission of this church as we go and, and we serve the world. So I'm just going to pray, and then i got a couple of announcements as we move on. So if you want to bow your heads with me, please. God, thank you for um, just you, and that you love us, and that you're for us, and that you love us. That's, that's incredible. And we want to just pause for a moment this morning and recognize that. God, I pray for our community. 
I pray that we would reach our community. I pray that we would connect to our community in, in a meaningful way, that where there's barriers and, and boundaries and, and people who have apprehension, even if they don't know why, that God, that you would break down those walls, that we would be able to, as Eaglemont Church, show that there is a real relationship available with you and that there is something valuable to the Bible and a Jesus-based life, that it's not just some old book or some old way of living, but there's something that fundamentally can change your life today, that the world around us would know that as we grow and as we share that. God, we just pray that this initiative, that access, that people would come and that we would invite people, uh, we would bring guests and bring people who don't know you yet, and that in six months' time, we would look at uh, this moment and look at the launch of some of this stuff, and, and we could look back at, at, at this stuff that we're doing and see people being baptized and people um, just who didn't know you today who would know you and be in leadership roles in this church. God, we pray that there would be a movement in this community that would see you be the God of Beaumont, God. So thank you for everything that you do for us. Thank you for the vision you've given our church. And I pray that as we go, that you would give us by your Holy Spirit opportunities to be for our community. In Jesus' name, amen.